0: Back again. Check it to wreck it. Let's begin. <laughs> Night. Nice. That was good.
1: Welcome to episode 291 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Y'all. Two ninety one. We didn't get any ideas last week about what we should do for three hundred. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot we asked. <laughs> yeah, we asked, and none responded. What do y'all want for three hundred? All right, just ponder on that as we dig into a good episode this week. We got a lot to talk about, but before we do. We want to thank Abstract for making this episode possible. Yes,
0: thank you to Abstract. Abstract is the design workflow management system that empowers design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage, version, and collaborate on design files. So today, most design teams work on multiple versions of the same file, and you're often duplicating efforts, and as a result of that, you're often overriding or losing work. And design teams are still spending a frustrating amount of time searching for files and exporting those files from one tool and into another, consolidating feedback from multiple sources. You never really know what changes have been incorporated and what's been approved.
1: So Josh Brewer, previously a principal designer at Twitter, co-founded Abstract to solve all of these problems. Abstract is like GitHub, but for designers, it is a version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work. It brings all of your design workflow into a single unified place for designers, developers, and any other stakeholder in your company to collaborate and keep your work moving forward. It's end-to-end collaboration, everything from versioning design files and storing them, requesting reviews, collecting feedback, even presenting work. And then when you're actually starting to build things, you can hand off your abstract files to devs and the gives them a spec to get started building the actual thing. So all of this is built on one platform and that one platform works both on and offline. What an amazing tool. It's going to get you covered end to end. In just the last couple of years, Abstract has acquired over a hundred
0: thousand users. That includes people from companies like Intuit and Zappos and Mailchimp and thousands of others across 75 different countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. So as the line between designer and developer and product manager becomes more blurry, the team at Abstract believes that a more collaborative and open platform will enable faster production cycles and just make everything better. No
1: more asking, where's the latest file? That's nice. Final underscore. Yeah, final, final, underscore, version two, final. Today, Abstract seamlessly integrates with Sketch. So the million of you out there using Sketch... What a pleasant surprise. Uh, Abstract works seamlessly with that, and they are supporting many more tools coming out in 2019, including support for the Adobe Suite and beyond. So all this and more lives at abstract.com. You can go there today, get started for free, and sign yourself and your team up for a 30-day free trial. Again, that's at abstract.com. Go there today, get started for free, and start experiencing the joys of a version-controlled source of truth. You won't regret it.
0: Thanks, Abstract. Thanks, Abstract. All right, let's get into the show. We got some follow-up this week, Brian. All
1: right, Marshall, last week you recommended a book called We Are Legion, parentheses. We Are Bob. I was enthusiastic about my recommendation. Yes, you were, and... As you like literally as we were recording the episode, uh, I ordered it and it has arrived and I am loosely 100 pages in out of 300 pages. So one third and I'm loving it. So I have ordered part two and I have ordered part three. I am very excited. I'm having a lot of fun reading it. This is Uh, my kind of sci fi. It's like it's not too uh, technical. It is fun. There's callbacks. The premise is interesting what you said about how like things are explained is true. Like I love the explanations for how things should work and how the main character sort of experiences life as a computer that's not a spoiler is it yeah no no it it's, happens it's on page two right yeah exactly <laughs> basically it's the whole premise yeah so for anyone else who listened last week and was like oh that sounds interesting i'm gonna wait for the the brian review well here it is i'm a third of the way through <laughs> <laughs> book one uh, it's very
0: fun so highly recommend you, you're getting the ready player one vibes but yeah not not as
1: hard uh, not as hardcore. Ready Player One vibes, uh, but instead of gaming, it's like pop culture, pop culture TV shows. throwbacks. Yeah, yeah, but not as dense of throwbacks. Like there's one, one per chapter, not one per paragraph.
0: Right. And they don't lean on it real hard. Like, hey, remember? You remember this thing? You remember that? That was cool, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm cool now too, right?
1: (laughs) Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Yeah.
0: I mean, I liked Ready Player One. I'm not a hater on Ready Player One, but this is, yeah, this is, it seemed less egregious in this book, but still there.
1: Yeah. But the premise is great and it's playful. I like playful sci-fi, honestly. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's fun for me to read because I don't know. It makes it more like less of a thriller and more of a (laughs) comedy. Like it is a comedy.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And yeah, I mean, there's it's the whole range of stuff that it'll it'll choke you up, it'll make you laugh, it'll it'll scare you. But yeah, for the most part, it's just a fun fun thing. I I look forward to hearing your updates as as we go along. Maybe offline
1: last week you were halfway through part two did you finish yeah i sure did i blew through the rest of them i'm done now and i'm sad because there's no more oh isn't that the worst when you finish an amazing series and there is like a profound sadness i felt that way as a child well even probably today but uh finishing harry potter i was like Mm. fuck it's over
0: more significant
1: uh finishing breaking bad i had
0: that yeah i just finished the wire last night oh yeah yeah that was a. Are you experiencing that? A little bit. I'm kind of happy. Well, I'm not happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's okay that it's over, and the place it went in the last season. I'm like, eh, kind of. I'm happy that it's over. But okay. it's interesting thinking about where things were in season one and how they are now. In the same way that it's interesting, I'm thinking about going back and rereading. The books, just because like, oh, it'd be cool knowing where everything goes, going through that journey again. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I can I can always go back and revisit. It's not, it's not gone It's not forever. gone forever.
1: But yeah, yeah I, I, I think there is a little bit of a profound sadness that happens when you finish something really exciting. For sure. Uh, all right. We have some tweets this week from all of y'all.
0: The the listeners. Right, yeah, I'll I'll start with this first one. Okay, so the uh, first tweet is from Chris Doner, friend of the pod. Uh, he writes and says, "Loving this artboard manager plugin for Sketch. Many thanks to Marshall Bach. That's me. That's you. Uh, he says, and this is a thing that I should have mentioned, but I'm happy that he brought it up, which is why I'm saying it here. My favorite thing about it is how it properly orders them, meaning layers or artboards." In the layer panel too, making life so much easier for the bulk renaming of artboards. So yeah, yeah. As you drag things around, not only does it snap the your artboards to a predefined grid in the canvas, but it also automatically reorders them based on the that order in the canvas in the layer list. Right. So good. Can you remind people the name of that plugin? Yeah, that is that is called Artboard Manager. Artboard Manager. Link in the show notes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah straightforward naming.
1: <laughs> much, much like our podcast names now, episode titles. Yeah, episode titles are, are very to the point. All right, cool. Thanks. We have another tweet from Cameron Campbell. Boy, if this tweet didn't just make my day. Cameron says, could we start a Patreon so Brian and Marshall could pump out design details full-time or have a three-hour three hour episodes? I'm not picky. All caps. Uh, seriously, favorite podcast
0: ever. Cameron... Gosh, dang it. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody would want to listen to three-hour episodes, but... Uh, <laughs> Bonus content. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we, we could, could just release put in an unedited. un-edited yeah. Because <laughs> those are all three hours. Great minds think alike, Brian. <laughs> nice, dude. Yeah, you, you went length. <laughs> we got length for you. <laughs> it's not quality. It's just quantity.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've, we've cut some bad stuff, uh, but if you want to hear it. Uh, No, but really appreciate that, Cameron. Thanks for the tweet. That was it for people saying nice things. Yeah, And we have another tweet from uh, listener Brian (laughs) Levin, a longtime friend of the pod. Uh, He says... (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to, to throw this out there. So this question has actually come up a couple times in the last few weeks, which just when it happens like that, I start to wonder what the rest of the world thinks. So I asked on Twitter, how much money do you realistically think you'd need to stop working in parentheses for pay? right now for the rest of your life factor in any assumptions about how you'd invest save slash spend that money uh so we got 550 votes uh the the options were 500k to 1 million 1 million to 5 million 5 million to 10 million and 10 million plus breakdown was interesting to me so the 37 percent uh said one to five 35 percent of people said five to ten so that means uh over 70% of people think like the one to 10 million range, which is like the biggest range. So that's not super helpful. But what I was surprised <laughs> about was 20% of people said they need 10 million plus to to stop getting paid for work right now. I don't know, like have times changed? That number seems so staggeringly high to me. But I don't know if it's also just like growing up, um, 1 million was a staggering amount of money. So like 10 million just feels crazy, but I don't know, maybe that 20% is just Silicon Valley, New York people (laughs) who have dope apartments. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it might be, it might be quality of life maintenance. Right. Uh, it also might be like, you know, I have, I have ostensibly 10 fewer years left in my life than you do. Right. Right. So that's 10 fewer years I need to account for. Um, so maybe, maybe the people saying 10 million are younger saying like, okay, if I quit right now, And I live to 90. Right, right. right. As opposed to a 30 or 40 year old. (laughs) Oh, God. Can you imagine planning on living to 90? Are you? Uh, No, I
1: I think 80 is probably good. Yeah. Stuff starts shutting down after that. You know? I'm aiming for 80s, but already given how, like, my body's falling apart? I don't know, man. <laughs> That's going to be pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. See if I make it to 50. Yeah, I need to start stretching
0: more, I'll tell you what. But yeah, I think, I mean, uh, times have changed, right? Like, I mean, inflation, obviously. And, you know, my parents' generation could buy a house for, like a really nice house for like $50,000. That same house is several hundred now, you know? Right, right. So yeah, things have changed. And, you know, they will, I I think there's probably some built-in assumption that they will continue to change. Like inflation will continue to rise as is, that's a pretty fair estimate, right? Yeah. So a million dollars today might not be so much tomorrow. I'm surprised anybody said 500 to a million, to be honest.
1: 500 to K, 500 K to one million.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that wouldn't get you very far.
1: Those, those are the people in their 80s that replied to my tweet. <laughs> there, there you go. They're like, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get some pocket changes. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what my number would be. I, the interesting thing, too, like, obviously, Twitter polls miss so much nuance. But uh, what I wonder is how much people calculate in investments, like 10 million bucks properly invested, assuming that the economy doesn't collapse and climate change doesn't melt the planet, Like you can make ridiculous amounts of money off of just a few million bucks with a good investment. Um, So I don't know. Yep. Uh, Anyways, not really super design-related, but I thought that was an interesting number to mull over for people out there career planning. uh, Turns out 20% of you... want 10 million bucks in the bank to stop working so there you go
0: i think probably what will i don't know if this this will happen but i've always kind of fantasized that like once once i make my fortune i'll and and decide to retire i will retire and do something that doesn't require i be in a city or something and then move out to kind of you know middle of nowhere and where i can get a really nice place for really cheap and a lot of land and uh just not have to see people (laughs) you know and just generally, like, be comfortable. This is on brand for live Yes. Live, live cheap for the rest of my life, you know, in a place with a much lower cost of living than San Francisco.
1: Yeah. It was funny that that tweet generated a bunch of replies. And the, one of the main themes of the reply was, yeah, but 10 million bucks is only really if you stay in a crazy big city, right? Like, I think Luca Oreo re- replied, you know, I could go live in the countryside of Italy for forever off like nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. yep. Guess it's all relative. I think you had the last bit of follow-up regarding uh, chargers.
0: Yeah, so last week we talked about the death of the air power, and I ordered a replacement for, for that, <laughs> that hole in my heart. And it's very similar, actually. It's almost, aside from the, you know, battery level interactivity stuff, it looks a lot like the AirPower. So this is the Slice Charge wireless charging mat. Seems like there's a couple. There's the Pro. I, I got the two, Slice Charge 2. Oh, links in the show notes, obviously. But it comes in white, necessary. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it's, got, it's basically got three spots and a, a built-in little ring for your watch in the middle. So like phone on the left, watch in the middle. Air AirPods on the right. Uh, I ordered the new AirPod, the wireless AirPod things too. So once these arrive, my my dream will be mostly
1: realized. And it's not too crazy expensive if you compare it to the Peel wireless charging pad that basically has space for one thing. This has space for three, and it's seventy bucks right now. Uh, Sixty actually. Eighty normally. I think it's marked off twenty.
0: Fifty
1: nine ninety five. Oh oh, I'm looking at a different link. I'm seeing uh. Slice so Charge 2. I'm seeing it for $69. Whoa, are we getting A-B tested right now, dude? <laughs> I think so. Oh my God. In uh, real time. Sex DBU. Hard Cider Labs. Screwing me.
0: Come on. Well, this is what I paid when I when I looked at this page a few days ago. So one of the cool things is the same company that makes this wireless charging mat also makes something they call the Base Cannon Passive Noise Cancelling Cover for AirPods and EarPods. It's basically an in-ear attachment for your AirPods. Uh, and it's got a little stabilizer yeah. thing for inside your ear. Yeah. And they come in orange, black, and white. I'm going to get the white ones. But yeah, it's like 13 bucks. I can't believe Apple doesn't make this. Yeah. Yeah, they should. Well, I bet they're probably waiting so they can release a you know, $400 version of in-ear AirPods. But yeah. Yeah, 13 bucks for like an attachment that goes on your existing ones and you don't have to really pay, you have to pay 13 bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. No, Apple would never do that. Yeah.
1: All right. That's a follow up. So for anyone else who is uh, still reeling from the air power announcement last week, we've got you with an alternative. So we'll have links to that in the show notes uh, for the slice charge and the base cannon. A little bit of a weird name there.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering if it increases the base. Doubt it. (laughs) Probably not.
1: (laughs) All right, so we have uh, some design tools to talk about this week, Marshall, and then several sort of nested topics within that, because it's been an interesting week for the Figma team. So True. We're recording this on Saturday, April 6, 2019. Two days ago, April 4, 2019, Rasmus Anderson, friend of the pod, published an article called We Refresh Figma's UI, an inside look at our process. And as that article was being published, Figma redesigned their UI, and uh, the community responded violently. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, did they like it? <laughs> uh, it's been mixed, but I want to get into that later. So uh, we have a link to the Rasmus's article in the show notes, but I thought this was cool because purely visual redesigns are really, really hard to get buy-in for because it's really hard to measure the impact of such a thing. And so Rasmus basically walks through the team's process of organizing, scoping, and actually executing on a purely visual refresh. And yeah, this this just seems rare, right? Like most visual refreshes, you'll either never get a case study or visual refreshes just don't happen all at once. It's usually quite incremental. Let, Let me caveat a couple things here. So it seems like what they rolled out had some, Pretty bad bugs for people who used Windows machines and for people who weren't on Retina displays. So let's go ahead and just set that to the side. Okay. Because like icons were blurry and certain text was blurry for a lot of people. Uh, okay. Whatever. Those are going to get fixed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would just call it the main changes for me come from the layers panel and the properties panel. And basically what they've done is they've stripped away, I'll call it, I don't even know if it's superfluous UI, but like borders and on, on anything that is clickable have now been removed. So basically everything is text, and then as you hover around in the properties panel, you get a border to indicate, oh, this is an input, or this is a, a, a drop-down, this can be clicked, this can't be clicked. Embracing white space
0: to delineate between
1: elements as opposed
0: to dividers or something. Right.
1: And I think it's done a pretty good job. I think the the biggest feedback that I've seen is in regards to the changes was... With this, though, I think people felt that a lot of usability was lost by removing borders from things that are inputs and borders from things that are buttons, and basically making it everything hoverable. Like you have to guess for a little while. So yeah, if you click on a layer, you'll get the properties panel, and you'll see there's no more borders on anything. Uh, there's no more borders to denote like these are tabs. Instead, they just use bolded and dark text to indicate like an active tab. Buttons you have to hover over them to see the outline. I think the main thing that I wanted to run by you was they removed the outline from inputs. So like X, Y position, width, height, angle, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like borders on inputs is a like super legacy signifier that, hey, this is an input. This thing can be typed into uh, and it's no longer there. Does this concern you at all? Do you feel like uh, the audience here as people who are designers can figure this out easily enough? Or, or do you feel like this is a step backwards? Yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, obviously this wouldn't work as well for a
0: touchscreen device because there is no hover, but because there's hover, I don't know. I don't mind it. I don't use this as much as you do. So, you know, grain of salt, but I don't mind it as much. Like, I think it's as long as the border happens when you hover, which is, you know, if you're going to use the thing, you're going to put your cursor over it. And as soon as you put your cursor over it, it makes sense. I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. Makes sense. I mean, but that's me. It does feel a little bit floaty, like without the, because there's so much packed into that little panel section. Each element does kind of feel a little bit floaty without
1: that structure, that kind of rigid visual structure. I was going to say, when you lean on white space to denote separation and grouping of elements, you end up with usually a little bit more white space.
0: Yeah, you have to add more to account for it. But I mean, all the key lines are good. Like everything lines up nicely. There's no staggering or anything. There's a cl- there's a clear grid going on, even if there isn't a borders around everything. I-, I don't mind. Okay, I was gonna say some of the borders are pretty complicated though, right? Like for and there's also a, a different styles, right? There, so for for text fields, there's kind of a, cr- a surrounding border, but then for buttons, they get a a gray background fill on hover.
1: And some buttons don't actually. And some buttons get a border too. Yeah. Like resize to fit gets a gray border background. The frame orientation as a toggle has like an active state, which is a gray background. Yeah, I'm
0: looking at uh, independent corners and constraint proportions. Portions, yeah. Yeah, those but those have toggles, right? So uh, unlock unlike the uh, the orientation, which is a segmented controller, right. Those are toggles, so they need to have so they have the, the stroke for hover, and then they have the background for on or off. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this all makes sense. Obviously, they thought about this, and there's a whole system. Yeah, I don't mind it. I actually prefer this. And and it's interesting what you mentioned earlier, which is this is for designers, right? Like This is for people who know how to use stuff and don't need to have their hands held. So I think you can be a little bit more crazy with design tools and your iconography, because we'll figure it out, right? Like I'm looking at the top center here, like, reset instance. I've never seen that icon before. I don't know what it is. And that's, that would scare people. They never even, they, I don't know, I'll never even hover over that. That's scary. Like, the di- the create component thing, the diamond for, for diamonds, or uses mask. Like, these, none of these are symbols I know, or, you know, except for, like, the, the Boolean stuff. But, it's fine. I'll hover over it, see what the tooltip says. Okay. That's reset instance. Now I know what that looks like, right? Yeah. If,
1: if uh, unknown icons are scary for you, just open Photoshop and, uh, <laughs> oh my God, have a field day. Cause holy Jesus. shit. <laughs> I used Illustrator the other day
0: to, to yeah, make a little or, thing. Or that, it, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that was a, that was like being in a different
1: world, man. Or like After Effects or something's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody had to come up with all these icons for very complex concepts so figma is an interesting tool because it is required for people to do their jobs so this is in contrast to perhaps like uh i mean i could say youtube but let's leave our our places of work out of this yes please let's say twitter right like if twitter does a visual reset i might be annoyed as a user but it doesn't impact my ability to like accomplish work that I'm on a deadline to do, unless I'm a journalist or something.
0: Yeah, this is like the the ribbon redesign that that
1: Microsoft went through. I'm curious how you would approach redesigns like this that are purely visual, but knowing that the end user uses your product to get paid, like to do their job. Um, what what special considerations? should go into changing uh, a high productivity tool like this?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first thing you need to do is talk to the users, right? And it seems like they did that. If you're making a tool that people rely on to make money, right? And it's it's really scary. And before you change anything, I think it's important to to talk to them before you change anything, right? Um, Just to find out why what exists today works for them and what parts don't work for them. And then this is a unique case in that they had their own things that didn't work for you know internally for building new features and stuff like that so but yeah once you know exactly what your users want and what works for them and what are the the controversial areas of the app where you know like don't touch this because it works and it ain't broken and like you'll you'll ruin our lives if you make this different once you know all those things like yeah, just as long as you're. Keeping... Oh yeah, once you
1: know all those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: There's certainly, and I feel this. There's certainly a desire among amongst designers, just like, yeah, let's fucking start over. Like, I know so much now. Let's let's just you know tear everything down and start from scratch, and not think about what you know what actually works and what was good, and you end up throwing babies out with bathwater. So, doesn't seem like that happened here. Hopefully. But yeah, once you're once you start making changes, it's just constant check-ins with with those users, like it's, like you said, there's there was beta testing, and people were able to see it in progress and give feedback. This is, is a much better process than quietly redesigning it in a back room and then you know unleashing it upon the world and saying, "Hey, great, right?" Well, let's
1: talk about rollout as well because I think one thing, another point of feedback. I'll just basically recap all this stuff that I heard from people. But one one person said, like, why wasn't this opt-in? Like, why couldn't I choose the time that it was convenient for me to learn a new interface? I thought that was an interesting point. It adds a lot of complexity for the Figma team to support that. But in a for a product like this, maybe that makes sense. Like, don't do it assuming that 1% of your users have to ship something today. Yep. I don't know. Yeah, I
0: mean, uh, Gmail do that, right? Like. When they did redesigns, it's like, okay, escape to the classic version, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. For months, right? That was available for months. Oh, yeah, yeah. For months. Yeah, sometimes for years uh, until people are comfortable with it, right? But uh, yeah, at some point you have to say, okay, that old thing doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, it is. It allows, I'm sure it is a lot of extra work to maintain both code bases. But yeah, having that option for users is, is really important, I think, especially for something like this, where it's like, yeah, that's a perfect example of I
1: don't have time today. I'm very busy. I just need to get shit done. And now this is in my lap. How often do you think about doing purely visual refreshes is that something that is desirable for you or is it so impossible to get buy-in for that at at an organization as large as YouTube that's not worth thinking about
0: there will always be a desire in me to fix everything that I see that is wrong regardless of where it is this is why I do these little side project things you know but yeah yeah I think there's always a desire there and and I can't imagine I'm alone I I need to fix the little things because those little things make me itch you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was just amazed that like Figma, I think they put in an entire team on this for five months is what they wrote. Five or six months. It's actually not too long. But if you think about that, that's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like this was an expensive ass design. Yeah. Yeah. Relatively.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, depends on what their, their um, goals were and metrics were like, if their goal was to set a better foundation for them to build upon for the future and also clean up inconsistencies visually that they've um, that have accumulated over the years I think that I think they achieved that goal seems like
1: one one thing that we encountered when we recently redid the spectrum design which I'll be really really keen to see if Figma experiences something similar (laughs) somebody left a comment on spectrum that said uh it was it was loosely spectrum team colon we're gonna redesign the UI and it sucks or something and then figma team hold my beer uh so people weren't happy with the v3 spectrum redesign but what was really interesting and this was one of the few times this has happened to me was what we released all the metrics went up yeah every metric we cared about went through the roof like we had we were just like what the fuck is going on all of our metrics look great but qualitatively so people who were leaving comments hated it like really hated it like they were mad at us which is kind of cool like it's good that people are mad instead of ambivalent i think that's that's nice, I guess. Uh, but it, it was just such a weird and frustrating position to be in where your numbers and the things that you wanted to change went up, but you have a vocal few who really, really hate the thing that you did. And so I, I'll be curious to see if Figma experiences the same because what I've seen just loosely following the feedback is there is this vocal, I don't know if it's a minority or, or majority, that are really upset with the changes, but I can't help but feel that like, their numbers are going to, I don't know what numbers you'd measure from this, but just like, I doubt this will dip their retention or anything like that. Like people who use Figma are going to use Figma or if they are, their files are, there, they're going to have to keep using it for their files, right? Like that's not a good necessarily long-term strategy, but, I can't imagine this would have any impact on their metrics, regardless of all the qualitative backlash. Well, the things that it would
0: potentially impact aren't things you can really measure, right? Like, like, you know, time to completion of a task. It's like, okay, I want to draw this rectangle and then change the size of it and change its position. And now it's harder for me to click on the, the fields to type those numbers in or something like that. But the, is there, how does the application know that that's the, the goal and that that goal <laughs> yeah. has slowed? You know, yeah. like they can't measure this stuff. So like maybe there will be a hit, but um, yeah, I don't know. Sentiment? Yes. Well, sentiment and also like like time to completion of a task. Hmm. I'm not even sure how you would measure, like how would you even measure that? Because the, the application doesn't know what the user's trying to do at any given moment. Right. Nor should it really. <laughs> like, yeah. It seems like it's a little creepy.
1: Maybe you'd measure churn. Like if, if people table flip and just stop using Figma, that'd be pretty extreme. But maybe there's people that are doing that. Yeah. Uh, measure like help queries or something like that. Yeah. Well, so then, okay, well, that's probably right. Like, how many of the responses were positive? Like, of the tweets, let's run a quick sentiment analysis, 70% were pissed. The last thing I I guess I'd just point out here, and this is a little bit soapboxy, is there were people in the Spectrum thread who were being gigantic assholes. That's not good. Don't do that. And it got got to the point where I actually felt as though I had to step in. So this is a little bit PSA. I'm not trying to be too preachy, but... I think what seemed to get lost in translation when I was talking to the people who were genuinely being assholes was I wasn't trying to say that their opinion was wrong. I was trying to say that the way that they were delivering their opinion was wrong. And I think- Amen. If if you, if you you opened Figma and you fucking hated it, you have so many choices in how you're gonna tell Figma that you hate their changes. And some of those ways are very productive and some of them are not productive. <laughs> and what I was trying to get through is y'all are being really unproductive like let's figure out how to channel these common things that everybody's complaining about and just not be assholes about it like that that community and that thread just got so toxic I almost wanted to just lock it but I'm I'm not an admin of Figma. (laughs) Can't do that. But it was just getting so toxic. And I was so surprised because I would expect of all communities, like I would expect the design community. Well, maybe I shouldn't have that high. No.
0: Yeah, no. Stop stop that thought. (laughs) I know what you're trying to say. You know, you're wrong. You just started talking. I know I'm wrong. Yeah, I know.
1: (laughs) I I guess I I would hope that our community could aspire to understanding that difference, that you can hate something and deliver that hateful feedback in in an actual productive way. Diplomacy. Yeah
0: diplomacy is a huge thing it's a soft skill no one really talks about but it's it's super important both in work you know at at the office and outside the office yeah magnanimity is a what's that mean being magnanimous uh i've heard that word but i don't know it yeah it's like allowing the other person to have like like being generous in the conversation so like If you make a point that's not wrong, but not necessarily right, just like letting you have it, kind of, right? Yeah, just being diplomatic. Like, don't be a fucking dick. Um, uh, I I didn't read the comments that you were talking about, so I'm not sure who you were referring to or what they said. But, like, yeah, in general, there are diplomatic ways to convey an idea, and there are undiplomatic ways to convey that same idea. And when given the opportunity to choose between the two, you should probably choose diplomatic. Yeah. You'll... Avoid triggering other people, unless that's your fucking deal, in which case you're a dick. But yeah, like if you can avoid triggering other people, um, especially if that's not your intention, choose your words wisely and make sure that you are defending your point with reason and a measured calm as opposed to you know, just trying to rile people up. Uh, I don't know.
1: And I think there needs to be a little bit more benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. The expectations are becoming so incredibly high for consumer grade products that the tiniest of bug just triggers people in, in really unbelievable ways. And I think there needs to be a little more benefit of the doubt. Like they didn't purposefully fuck this up. There might actually be an accident here or a bug here. Like, let's give it some time. This is literally day one. But the other way I was thinking about it walking home tonight was like, how would you respond to feedback from yourself if you reread your comment? Or uh, imagine that you're shouting at a coworker, like how would you actually get them to make the change and saying this fucking sucks isn't isn't helping anybody. So imagine someone walked up to you and said, you suck. Like, Even if they said you suck for these reasons, you disqualify their opinion because of the delivery. Whereas if they came up and said, hey, you know, like I've been thinking a lot about some of the things that you've been doing, the ways you've been behaving. Here's some things that I think maybe would improve your relationships with other people. You're like, oh, shit, like that's so kind of you to have thought about that. I'll I'll really consider that feedback, you know, like you can say the same thing in a different way. and, And you just build trust and actually become motivated to to honor that person's complaints. And I just kept thinking about that, like a lot of the complaints are valid. But you're presenting them in a way that's just going to make the team shut you out. I, I can't speak on behalf of the Figma team, but if I worked at Figma, I'd be like, fuck y'all, <laughs> this is these people are just being assholes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, depending on how you
0: say something, it, it will determine whether or not the person you're saying it to takes it seriously. So, like, the more shitty you are, the less likely the person is to even listen to the thing you said regardless of how valid the thing you said was. Yes. Yes. Are are you familiar with the term
1: shit sandwich, Brian? I am. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. How do you feel about shit sandwiches? Uh they're easy to spot, but they're fine. Like I think they do the th- they do the thing that they're meant to do. Yep. For anyone who hasn't heard it, you want to give a like a one minute TLDR? A shit sandwich is when you tell
0: someone uh, a negative thing and you surround it by positive things. So you say I love what you're doing here. This is really great. I think this part could be improved, but overall, I think (laughs) it's really good, right? So, good thing, bad thing, good thing. So, you, you kind of nest... The criticism inside compliments so that they don't turn off, you know, they, they don't shut you out immediately because, you know, some people don't like hearing negative comments. So if you surround it with positivity, they're more likely to have it seep in.
1: One thing I want to, don't want to confuse are those like you don't always have to shit sandwich. Like I think shit sandwich is a perfect strategy for a low trust relationship. A high trust relationship doesn't really need that. Like I don't feel like I would need to shit sandwich you, Marshall. But if it was somebody like a new coworker or an engineer that I've worked with for two weeks, like, hell yeah, I'm going to shit sandwich that because I don't want them to think I'm a dick. But once we've worked together for two, three years and we trust each other's opinions, like, then you can really (laughs) streamline that communication
0: flow. Because they know you're not coming from a place of judgment or hatred or just shittiness. Yeah, they know that you're. You're just trying to help, right? Yes, and, yes. and companies that you have never talked to before and you're just giving them feedback, they don't know you're just trying to help if you're saying something negative, especially if you say it in a way that is um, intentionally or seemingly intentionally combative. Yes.
1: Well, anyways, that's my soapbox. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I know for sure that none of our listeners would ever be assholes mm-hmm. on the internet. Our people are good people. Our people are good people. Y'all are good people. But we'll have links to all this. I think uh, you can go read through that Spectrum thread and and decide for yourself. I, I jumped in. I don't know if I should have jumped in or not, but I jumped in and called people out. And
0: I mean, it's a huge thing to undertake too. Like a redesign a, a visual redesign, especially for designers by designers. <laughs> it's never going to yeah. go you know perfectly. Yeah.
1: Like logo redesign, Twitter, um, people God. get pissed for approximately twenty four hours, and then nobody cares. So mm-hmm. I remember when uh,
0: I remember, uh, gamers are very s- similar to designers in their vehemence about uh, their opinions. Uh, maybe even more so. Uh, just ask EA. Uh, so, but when Nintendo uh, announced their Wii console, there was. Uh, weeks, or probably more like days, but yeah, probably weeks of people making urination jokes about the Wii <laughs> and, and uh-huh. genitalia jokes about the Wii. Fast forward, like nobody gives a shit. Remember when iPad came out and people were making, yeah, dude, yeah, like people were making sanitary, hygiene, yeah, uh, yeah. Much. It's like, oh boy. That was funny for a, a day. It wasn't even funny for me, but like, you know, that was a, a thing for a day. Fast forward and like nobody even questions the name iPad anymore. It's like this stuff is, is hot take material for, for a short amount of time and then it becomes normal and everybody gets used to it for better or worse.
1: Yeah, there there is just this factor of getting used to it. When we rolled out the Spectrum redesign, like we got a pretty big backlash the first day and then you know what we did? We fixed all the things and a week later... It was maybe down to one comment a day of like, hey, why isn't this other thing working? We're like, okay, we can live with one one piece of negative feedback a day. That's fine because we went through and fixed the things. And I have no doubt that Figma is hearing people loud and clear and is probably responding to the nice people better than the mean people. And they will fix a lot of the, the complaints in the next few days. So I guess my props to the Figma team and also I th- thought Rasmus's article was cool because you don't really get this much insight into visual, purely visual refreshes, because those are not only hard to pull off, but they're really hard to just get buy-in for in general. So, all right, that's it. Links to all all referred sources in the show notes. Uh, let us know what you thought of of the Figma refresh. Yeah, if you use it on the regular, unlike me, more like Brian, let us know what you think. Well, so they, they released it late last week, so I haven't had a chance to use it too much, but I did use it on Friday, and I don't know. I, I, I think it's fine. I think I'll be curious to see if they add back borders on certain things like inputs, but... My hunch is they won't. Sounds like their user testing proved that it was fine, but uh, we'll see. I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what they revert. And I doubt they'll even announce what they revert. So maybe we'll never even notice. Yeah, just uh, give it time and silence, and it'll <laughs> be fine. <laughs> time, silence, and uh, continue doing
0: your work. Uh-huh.
1: All right, Marshall, should we wrap up with some cool things?
0: Sure. Let's, let's cool some things, Brian. Let's do
1: it. I want to start this week. So, uh, Ryan Morrison, friend of the show and. My Ryan Morrison? My Ryan Morrison. You're my you're, you're Ryan? My Ryan Morrison. Uh, designer at Webflow. Also, Marshall, you should know, the designer of the Design Details podcast artwork. Oh, okay. Uh, Ryan Morrison's personal website is dope. <laughs> so that's my cool thing of the week is Ryan Morrison's website. It's real fun. What's funny is I have a I have a buddy named Ryan Morrison who's also a designer. So. Oh wow. That's why I asked you if it was a Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. You know, yeah. I knew I knew you had a friend named Ryan Morrison. What's his website? Uh Ry Ry R Y R Y io Rai.io. okay it's simple it's just fun it's just a nice uh, do it on desktop I don't know how it works on mobile but boy yeah I'm getting boy stuck, Star Wars vibes <laughs> <yourself>. <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm just for some reason I'm just into this this week so go check it out uh, well done Ryan Morrison it's fun and uh, Ryan does some really cool work you should just follow him on Twitter he he shares a lot of the work he's doing at Webflow uh, he's made a ton of websites using Webflow that are all doing pretty cool things with uh, animations and transitions and uh, he gets real playful, so uh, well done, Ryan.
0: Cool, cool thing, Brian. Thanks. Okay, my cool thing this week is a, a bit of a, an extension of a previous cool thing. So uh, a few weeks ago, I had recommended Billie Eilish and her her music video videography. Is that like the the video version of discography? Or yeah, videography. Yeah, that's a yeah, thing. okay. Cool. So I, I had recommended that, and uh, she has her full length album out now, and it's very very good really really like it how many times have you listened to it Marshall? many many
1: uh-huh i think i'm realistically at 50
0: yeah i'm i'm probably in the 30 to
1: 40 range i don't know it's hard to keep maybe track maybe 50 is even exaggerating i don't know it's like an hour how long is it 40 40 minutes yeah it's not that long it's a great great album super good yeah if you're into billie eilish like you're this is just a uh, continuation of her already great songs from before so and there really isn't a billy eilish sound like her
0: aside from her kind of whispery breathy voice there really isn't a sound she has she has ballads she has songs with like fucking ukulele in the background she has like bangers she's <laughs> yeah kind of, you know all sorts of stuff Sad stuff, scary stuff, happy stuff, weird stuff. I think that all of the songs that have been released already were good. And I was worried that it would be one of those things where, you know, all, all the singles that come out before the album comes out are all the good songs. It's like when a trailer for a movie comes out yes. for like a comedy and like all the funny moments from the movie are in the trailer and there's nothing else in the movie. Yeah, um, I was worried that would happen, but it did not happen. There are some really good songs that hadn't come out before. Bad Guy, Ilo Milo stand out. I really like how the final track, I think it's called Goodbye, is almost like a reprise if you're familiar with like theatrical language. Uh, did you, were you ever in pit band, Brian? Nope. <laughs> okay. You never played orchestra? All right. So, well, I did. Um, I played pit band and there's a musical term which is a, a reprise, which is basically Uh, It's basically like the musical version of a callback. Okay. So in the last track of the album, which is named Goodbye, it has basically one line from all of the other songs on the album, kind of going in reverse. How did I not notice that? What? I didn't notice it the first time either. Well, I haven't noticed it the
1: 50th time. So what does that say about me?
0: Yeah. So like the, for example, like the last two lines on the song are, what is it about them? I'm the bad guy. And what is it about them is from song Zanny, which is also really good, which is the, you know, the second song and I'm I'm a bad guy is the first song, first song. Right. So I think it works backwards. Yeah. There's a, there's a, you should see me in the crown line before that. Yeah. I think it's. It's basically working backwards. Same thing. It's kind of a similar pattern that she uses in uh, the song, I Wish You Were Gay. Oh, okay. Where she does kind of the countdown thing. You know, baby, I don't feel so good. Six words you never understood. Right? Six. I'll never let you go. Five words you never say. Right? Six, five. They Laugh alone like nothing's wrong. Four days has never felt so long. If three's a crowd and two is us. One slipped away, right? Six, five, four, three, two, one. The second verse does 12, 11, 10, nine, eight, seven, six. So it's kind of like this similar theme she has in that song where she does the same thing backwards with a track list or like one line from each song.
1: That's like uh, Drake's where he counts like A to E or A to F or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like A B, I got your C D. You get an E for effort. Oh, yeah, that yeah, one's yeah. so e good. E for effort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little different. Big Sean
0: has another one. It's like like what two, three, to four, five.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Why was six
0: afraid of seven? Because <laughs> <laughs> seven, eight, nine. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, she uses that same. She's the same thing uh, in the second verse, which is like, uh, ten, ten fingers pulling out my hair. Nine times you never made it there. I ate alone at seven. You were six minutes away, right? So she uses. Eight, A-T-E for eight. Uh, Anyways, I also really like the song Zanny. So... You would expect this to be a song about taking Xanax, right? Yeah, but but it's the opposite. It's about
1: it's about like n- n- the the chorus is like, I don't need a zanny to feel happy or something like that. I'm I'm reading lyrics now. Uh, I don't need a zanny to feel better on designated drives home. Only one who's not stoned. Don't give me a zanny now or ever. Yeah, don't give me a zanny now or ever. Yeah, Positive it's like, message, Billy. Yeah, yeah,
0: but I think it's interesting. It's kind of similar. Um, if you're familiar with the artist Lil Dicky. There's another uh, one I would recommend, an NSFW, but he has a song called Molly, right, that's about uh, his ex-love named Molly, right? It's not a song about drugs, it's a song about uh, a woman named Molly, but like yeah. when you just read the track title, you're like, oh, this is, uh, obviously it's one of these pop songs about drugs, but nope, I love that kind of uh, misdirection. A little twist, uh, switcheroo is what we call that one. <laughs> yeah, the bait and switch, bait and switcheroo. <laughs> All right, cool.
1: That was my cool thing. Cool. We got music and, and and a fun little website. Let's wrap up. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Let us know what you thought of Figma's visual redesign. If you uh, give asshole feedback on the internet, don't do that anymore. (laughs) And (laughs) I'm trying to recap all the things we covered. Thanks to everyone who's been tweeting at us with- It's a reprise. Yeah, reprise. I'm going backwards. Uh, Thanks for, uh, get yourself an iPhone charger, save up $10 million. And thanks to everyone who's been tweeting at us, positive feedback. Uh, If you've been enjoying the show, of course, go by We Are Legion, We Are Bob, the trilogy, uh, sci-fi trilogy by Dennis E. Taylor. Uh, And of course, before you end this episode, be sure to check out Abstract. They're at abstract.com. It is the single source of truth for you and your design team to collaborate, present, and build better products together. You can get started for free by going to abstract.com. They have a 30-day free trial. Get your team on board and start living in the future. That's at abstract.com. Thank you so much to Abstract. Brian, that was so good. <laughs> doing that backwards. I'm impressed. We should do that every week. That was so good. Well, this has been episode 291. I'm Brian Lovin. <laughs> I'm Marshall Bach. <laughs> Goodbye. Just kidding. <'cause. laughs> uh, Last thank yous uh, to Sarah and Drew for editing this one. There's going to be a little bit of work here. Uh, but Sarah and Drew are amazing, and they make all of our shows possible, including the rest of the shows on the Spec Network. That's at spec.fm. We've got shows for designers and developers just like you. Go check them out. That's spec.fm. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's this week. Hope you enjoyed my reprise. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> I'm kind of out of breath. That was uh, some mental gymnastics there. No, I'm impressed, dude. That was good. Thanks.
0: Bye.